So what do you want to talk about this week, Wolf? Code comments. No! Yeah. All right. I forget Did we talk which, about comments already? Yeah, I don't think we ever have, and that's, I'm kind of surprised by this, but um, I was surprised because I forget which episode it was, but it was also like four episodes back or something like that. We kind of mentioned offhandedly that apparently we have different stances on code commenting. I don't even remember that. <laughs> okay. I believe that you are pro comments in code. Which I find shocking for a seasoned engineer as your, like yourself. <laughs> well, but then what does that mean? What so? What does it mean to be pro comments? Well, I mind? mean, do we want to play up the con- conflict here, or, <laughs> or or do we want to be rational human beings and you know talk about spectrums? Um, well, we could do both. Um, is it sweeps week yet? <laughs> we, well, well. So where are you, where are you coming from? I'm coming from the the. Less comments is better type of school. Okay, and why? Um, well, I do you want me to get into it? <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, so I would. So they even mentioned this on an accidental tech podcast uh, a couple episodes back about you know you go through these phases. Uh, at least I did. It seems to be pretty common for programmers. Like you, like you're learning programming. Like oh, comments help kind of elucidate the code and helps clarify things. All this, and you end up writing a lot of comments. And you kind of through it tends to be at least I noticed this with me is that you tend to write less and less comments as once you realize that you don't actually need to say well this is a variable that I'm going to increment to this for loop because hey there's a for <laughs> right. loop right there right and um, kind of the things that the code can explain even better than the English text you end up not including comments um, so I've so I've definitely gone and even I would say that for me it's more of a whitelist type thing. Where like uh, I I err on the side of not including comments. That makes the comments I do include really stand out. Okay. And so the comments aren't tend to be, um, you know, the kind of how you're doing things. Uh, they tend to be more kind of abandon all hope ye who enter here type stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> title I don't know. <laughs> um, where. Usually when there's a comment there, it's a warning sign to future me or future other people um, that explain, like, this code you might want to fix up is obviously broken. This is why it needs to be this way. And that's really where I think comments shine. Yep. That, mm-hmm. I say, that's re- that's has saved me so often, where here be dragons type stuff. It's, that's, and because the, I don't comment almost everything else, um, attend that that really stands out. So I, I'm pretty much a fan for that. The other thing I could see comes useful for is kind of like the higher level type stuff, and especially API usage. Uh, Apple's headers actually tend to do a kind of good job at this sometimes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That you'll be looking sometimes. at, yeah, yep. you, you'll be looking at one like for some for reasons core foundations stick in my mind, but a core foundation style API maybe it's because because they don't have objects they can kind of need to spell out for you more, but um, it's. It'd be like saying, this is a, you know, a method that you might be interested in, and this is what it does, and it kind of goes together with this other method over here, or function, or something like that. So that kind of like, when you're kind of like looking at interface and trying to piece together how you'd actually use it, comments are kind of good there. So, Well, if you write your method comments, as, this is something you might be interested in, and maybe it's better you don't write comments. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I see the clause come out early. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Okay. So, so I, I know that uh, some people actually, to this day, I'm still surprised. It's the idea of actually like writing out what the code should even do in the comment 
and then putting the code in there afterwards. Wow, almost like documenting it with tests. Uh, similar, except, except not it's not executable because yet. comments. Yeah. I don't know how far gone you are. I don't know. Are you that far gone? Will you write comments <laughs> yeah. first? It's funny. You will be you will be pleased to know that pretty much the way you have described your own commenting philosophy is exactly the way I handle oh. comments these days. So we are in violent agreement <laughs> again. Darn. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, yes, I actually do remember when I was first learning code. I, w- I put giant comments everywhere because I was like, "This is." I need to remember how this works. I need mm-hmm. to remember why this works the way it works. And I will still do that with code that I'm first trying to write and trying to remember re- remember the details of it. But it it really just follows what you said that you want to put codes, you want to put comments there when it's something that you won't know by just looking at the code again. Mm-hmm. And yes, for the most part, that is Here Be Dragons mm-hmm. style comments, where it's you're, you're writing code which is nonsensical for the sake of uh, dealing with a bug or dealing with a, a, an issue, a specific issue, and the code won't tell you what that issue is, you, so you need extra information in there. Mm-hmm. But I, I do sometimes, you know, I'll still do it with new new technologies. I might put extra stuff in there to say, well, this is why I'm doing it this way. Stuff that someone who had been using that technology for a couple of years already would not need, but I still need mm-hmm. the next time I look through it. So that might be one way that I, I do a little bit more than you. Mm, that, that is an interesting shade of gray, especially if you're like, uh, maybe you're a Objective-C programmer and you're doing some Ruby or something like that. I could see, because all these, you know, the APIs are different, how you do things are different. I could see you kind of like using comments as crutches for you as in transition period. And that would be look totally redundant to someone who's seasoned in yep. Ruby. But otherwise, I would agree that adding comments to just say how code works when you don't otherwise need the information, when you can look at it and see how it works, is redundant. And because it's redundant, it leaves the possibility open of you changing, of, of they're becoming out of sync. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you have the, thing, the same thing twice, when you have cut and pasted code, when you have... Uh, multiple, uh, like Carbon and Cocoa, where they made them so that they would act the same, even though they were different APIs. But then as Cocoa evolved, as Carbon evolved, they became a little bit... Well, they, and they were never the same anyway. That was right. always a horrible... Mm-hmm. That was always a hack just for that reason, because they were never exactly the same, those apps. You want to avoid that. And so I'm all about attempting to avoid entropy for as long as possible. <laughs> and the less structure you use, whether that's in code, whether that's in your company infrastructure, whether that's in, you know, lots of other things in life, whether that's, <laughs> I can think of another stupid example, but I guess I'm not going to talk about them. Do you want to avoid that? Because they, they will decay. And, and the way to avoid them decaying is by not having them in the first place until you absolutely need them. And so that holds true for me for, for, for code, for, for comments. I would also. So, oh, or do you have something nope, else? No, go, okay. go ahead. One another shade of gray that I have to sadly interject is that I, if you're writing something that's uh, API that's uh, an API that's uh, documentation heavy, something that probably you'll expose the outside world and not just for mm-hmm. internal use, and something that people might look through in a web browser first before they start coding for it, then I could see like header doc type stuff 
Um, and of course, those are implemented inside of comments. But I almost say that they're kind of a different class of stuff. They're almost like API documentation that just happens to be in a comment. And so it's, it's, it's almost like a different breed of comment. Were you talking about the comments that are in your header file? Uh, yeah, for I mean, for an API. Yeah, I mean, I consider thing... those that that that's API documentation. Yeah, that yeah. Is, I consider that to be different. Yeah, me too. I, I just really, I mean, even though they're implemented as comments, I never realized that. I guess I do actually consider them basically a different class of thing. Like I write those for myself so that I'll I'll know how to use them, and also I, I this is the point where I will write them ahead of time because I'll say, okay, here's what I want out of this API, but if I write it out then I'll get maybe a little bit of a better sense of what the, the limits of it are. Mm-hmm. And especially, I found recently in some code I've been writing that oftentimes I will realize on writing, say, the third method in a, in a series of methods that I'm going to check for nil. Of course, I'm still writing Objective-C. Mm-hmm. Check for nil and say, okay, I'm going to assert if this is nil so you can't pass a nil on this thing. Oh, I should really have done that in the earlier ones too. So I'll then add the checks for those methods and then also put it in the, in the document, in the, you know, the, the header comments as well. So to some degree, seeing those comments in, in line, like in, in a row rather than separated by all the method bodies gives me a good way to say, well, are these all consistent with each other? So mm-hmm. it's, it's an organizational tool, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. in addition to just conveying specific information about how they work. I will, with, well, with Swift, it's going to be a little different, right? Because there's no header, and of course, there are fewer nils to check. Mm-hmm. So. The other thing I want to mention, um, the uh, so I did do a brief bit of research for charging into this topic, uh, and I uh, found a poorly, a poorly written Wikipedia page about uh, best coding practices. And one of it is comments, and it kind of mentions in the early days of computing, one common practice was to leave a brief description of the following: name, module, purpose of module, description, original author modifications, and authors who modify the code with the description of why it was modified. But, however, the last few items have been largely obsolete by the advent of revision control systems. So that is yet another thing. I remember, uh, I, right. I, mm-hmm. I think actually I can even find some code on my system that I wrote in the 90s before I was using a version control system where I did just that. I had, like, each function had a little comment header that I would, you know, have a little timestamp on it and also explain how it's been modified. But of course, now we're all on, in Git land. Indeed, we are. <laughs> uh, the, well, what's the other? Oh, the, the other interesting thing is you probably use the Apple doc style comments when you write comments for headers, like with the at param and the at return and things like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that has not, that gives you something in Xcode now, like Xcode will actually, if you put something like that in and then you, whatever it is, control click mm-hmm. on it later in a later use of it, it'll show that API documentation, huh. which oh. is nice. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Nice. But it doesn't have all the same formatting that you might expect to get from API formatting it won't have references to other methods in it, you know, mm-hmm. with the proper links in them and that sort of thing that, that Apple stuff will have. Whereas the new documentation format, comment format, that seems to be in play for Swift, right. that is completely undocumented, <laughs> seems to have more of that capability. So hmm. I'm actually looking forward to someday switching to that. And of course, Apple making it public, maybe that will never happen. But being able to have comments for my APIs, which are more useful than the ones that I have now that are kind of not, you know, not a hundred percent. Okay. 
Alrighty, so if you're finished there, I'm finished. We can move on to your topic. No more, no more comments for your career commentary topic. I'm going to talk about Appetize.io. Okay. Have you heard about this? Uh, yeah, I actually noticed that it was introduced a couple weeks back, right? Maybe a month back. Maybe yeah, maybe a little more than that. Okay. But yes. Um, now, what is Appetize.io? It's a website, but I think it's more interesting to talk about it in terms of its predecessor. Possibly its official predecessor, but possibly just an informal predecessor of something called app.io, which is also a website. Mm -hmm. Now, this was introduced to me in Core Intuition, Daniel Jalkut and Manton Reese's podcast. Mm -hmm. They talked about it in March of this year, and then in July they talked about it again when we found out it was going to shut down. So I'll put links to those uh, episodes of that podcast in the show notes. And they described app.io as interactive simulator builds of iOS apps running live in the browser. Now, I never got to use it because it shut down before. I, I, I kept a link to it, but I never, I never tried it out. I seem to remember that their terms of use were something along the lines of, you get to use this for free for anybody who wants to, you know, you, you upload your app to our server. We run it from our website. And that's free for all uses until a certain number of usages have occurred. And then it was a, a certain amount of money per month. And I think it was something that was not trivial, something like maybe $200 a month, something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was something where, you know, you'd have to start paying real money, even if not crazy money, after a certain point. Now, they closed that app service in favor of some sort of weird advertising service based on the same technology. Now, that doesn't surprise me because it it didn't seem like the sort of thing that was going to make them a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And yet they were getting a lot of server usage if a lot of people did decide to, to try these apps out and use them. I don't know exactly how much you know, power and, and such it would require from servers to run you know, one simulator for each user. But it, I can't imagine it would be that cheap. And it does scale linearly in the sense that you know, it's not something that you can amortize Right, like you're running a new version of Xcode for each user who's using it, and so that and again, I, I would bet that that would wind up costing you real money at some point. Mm -hmm. So they closed their service, but now there's a, a successor to it called Appetize.io. Now I, I have to kind of wonder, you know, it was App.io now it's Appetize.io. They don't say that they were related. Maybe somebody just said, well, that was a great idea, and now we're going to do it, but we don't know what to call our thing, so we're going to call it something which is pretty much just a takeoff on the other one. I don't, I don't know what's going on mm -hmm. there. But the new website is, is extremely sparse, and it says even less than the old one did. It doesn't say anything about how they're going to make money. It doesn't say anything about really who they are. But it does give you the same, in theory, the same capabilities. There's a, there's a demo video which shows someone playing with an app, on their website, there's an a actual demo of a sample app. There's, there's, you, know, you, you click on a certain link and you get to see what looks like an iOS application that you can play around with a little bit. Now, I thought that I would be able to try it for this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I did upload an app that I built. And it was an app that had a little bit of interactivity to it so I could see how responsive it would be. Mm -hmm. And also a little bit of, of information about what it was running on. Mm -hmm. Whether it was 32 or 64 bit. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. Now... I uploaded it maybe 40 minutes ago, or yes, I attempted to upload it about 40 minutes ago from their website. Haven't heard back from them yet. Now mm. they, um, they say, well, upload it and then we'll send you an email. Mm. 
Now, of course, I think the, the email thing was in, at least in part about, you know, haha, now we have your email. <laughs> That's um, how I start off all my email. <laughs> yes, yes, all of your services. It didn't say that underneath, but no. Um, but, you know, it, it's one way to say, well, this is a free service, but now we, now we you know, auto-enroll you in our mailing list, that sort of thing. But it turns out that I never got an email back from them mm. about saying that here's, here's the link to it. Mm-hmm. So and it about 40 minutes ago now, if it was an automated service, and I did check my spam filter, it was an automated service. It should have gotten back to me right away. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they have their own kind of like review process mm-hmm. to make sure that there's nothing really bad going on. Because mm-hmm. we are recording at a time which is not a regular business hour. That's true. But if they are doing that, you know, again, why wouldn't they say it? Mm-hmm. And if they're not doing that, then you know, at least I would know, well, something went wrong on their end or something went wrong on my end. Maybe they're trying to be it, all app story and they have secret conditions. I suppose. <laughs> I don't know why they would do that. I mean, this also shows that when you have any service open to the public, you know, you're opening yourselves up to all sorts of customer service woes. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a customer now, even though I haven't paid you anything, and... I'm having a problem that someone would need to diagnose if we were to, to if I were to be happy with a service, and yet we can't. And you know whose fault is it? Where is it going? You know, somebody they're paying would have to go through this with me and figure it out. And that's no what not a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Would I have signed up for this? You know, sight unseen. If I if I knew it did cost money, I might have signed up for you know like a trial or like a one month thing or something, because at least then I would know that it would be. It's more likely to stick around. So. I can't do anything concrete with this, but I'm going to talk about it in the abstract anyway. Mm -hmm. The reason you want this, of course, is because you would want a way to have demos for your app where you can still charge money for the app in the app store. That's something that the core intuition folks talked about. That's something that I would be interested in as well without having to implement in-app purchase for something which doesn't really need to be in-app purchase, right? Because in-app purchase is in my mind, really more geared towards, well, here's a service that you, you pay extra for rather than you know, pay for the whole app that way. This will let you do that. But it would only really do that if, under ideal conditions is if, the, if this were the place that everyone knew to go for it. If this was not something weird and unusual and something you, you might not do just because it's an extra step and you've never heard of it before, mm-hmm. you'd really want it to be something that, that's, that's well used. And this this app this service does not seem to be on its way to doing that. App.io was not on the way to doing that. I mean, even if this were even if this were something where okay, it's unlike they're going unlikely they're going to make money. Maybe it would be nice if there were something like Crashlytics, mm-hmm. where at least they have a sugar daddy. You mm-hmm. know, they've got a sponsor. Right. Where Crashlytics, we still don't know they're going to be around forever. Mm-hmm. But if they shut down, it won't be because they run out of money mm-hmm. or they have to pivot. It'll be because their parent company says, well, yeah, we've been subsidizing this for a while and now we're going to stop. Mm-hmm. And even more than that, an even better scenario within that would be if they were popular enough to get Apple's attention <laughs> and maybe force Apple's hand, but then they got Sherlocked. Mm-hmm. And of course, that wouldn't be better for them, right. but it would be better for us because Apple could do this in a flash. Mm-hmm. They could say, well, yeah, we're going to give you a demo, but the demo isn't going to be on the app. Isn't going to be on your on your on your device because that's too much trouble, but we will give you this way to do it in a separate separate browser that's totally separate from any device. Now, the the trouble with that there's a bunch of trouble with that. Well, one the, the benefit of course is that it doesn't screw up your phone in any way. Apple doesn't have to do anything with the App Store about it. Now there would be no data, of course, because you can't you can't log into anything. You can't. Um, well, I mean, you could. I don't think. You, 
Well, you could, I suppose. Uh-huh. I wouldn't, right? Oh, well, yeah. It, well, if, if it's Apple, they already have your, your logging That's true. If Apple were running everything, it. right? So. But the other thing, of course, is that it wouldn't be particularly performant over the, over the internet. Mm-hmm. And I saw this even with their demo app. It was a little, little, little jaggy, little, little ragged. And so you probably wouldn't want to use it to, to do games. All right. I'm wondering if you would want to use it for apps which are mostly about the look and feel. Mm-hmm. Because if it is not performant, will that really give you a sense that they got the look and feel right, that they got the smooth scrolling right in their mm-hmm. app? If you can't tell that because scrolling is all jagged because of stuff coming across the network. So it really, I would have a lot of questions for it. I would want to try it out. Uh, and I would also, you know, I would probably publicize it if, if I thought it was going to be big or I thought it could be big. Because publicizing it is what would make it successful and what would make it do what I want. But I also would have my doubts that it would get to be something really successful either. Hmm. So, so I think it's a it's an interesting idea. It's it, it's an end run, you know. It's an end run around Apple. Yeah. And as such, it has a lot of trade offs. But you know, I would hope that something like that might be successful again, even if it's just to to kick Apple a bit, make them take notice. Mm-hmm. I'm always wondering that if this is something that uh, developers instead of farming out with these companies um, that you don't really know what their business model is, if this is something that uh, indie developers or, or this, you know, big codes even could do uh, for themselves. Uh, even if, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're doing this professionally, then you have the scale issues that you're talking about. And I think Manton was talking about that, too, is that you wonder about how exactly technically they're pulling this off. But if, you, if this becomes like a VNC-type thing, where you're just like kind of running a VNC-type thing on the browser... And um, and maybe the, if you have uh, even this regular hardware, that's one Mac Mini running this thing. It's like sure. you, you, even if you could just do one at a time, you could totally do things like take take appointments online for people. I want to test drive your app. Ooh, like, yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, I mean that even gives it kind of a, fl- a flair of exclusivity. <laughs> <laughs> people love that type of type of crap. So uh, that, well, but if you're trying to get their, if you're trying to get them to to try it out, making them wait. Might not help. Uh, yes and no. I mean, in many ways, it might even be better because then it's like your favorite. It's time for your favorite program on TV. It's like people then now you've given more mind share because like oh I, now it's important because I'm I'm setting an appointment for this for the showing. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Uh, it's but more also, of a, yeah. it's more kind of just like sugarcoating a technical limitation than anything. But it, right. there might be some human psychology angles there. Sure, and I do I do think that. Yes, I think if someone were to reverse engineer it or to, or to set it up, like I would not want to spend the, the hours and or days to figure out how to do this. But if somebody had instructions, oh, here, you know, here's the steps you take to make, you know, Xcode 6, you know, with this version of, of OS Town and connect it to this web server. Because um, there's got to be something, there's got to be some technology which is taking the screen bits, you know, mm-hmm. and taking your pointer and converting back and forth between those things. And if that were, yeah, if that were something that somebody had open sourced or even made it something, you know, hey, buy this app and install it, be more likely to be something that a lot of people would use on their own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're that, thinking about. Yeah, definitely. Alrighty, so if that's it for you. That's it for me. We will see you next time.